Welcome to Boiling Point, the podcast to motivate ever-evolving entrepreneurs and forward-thinking movement pioneers. Our hosts, filmmaker Greg Hemmings and executive coach Dave Vale, are turning up the heat in the world's business communities. Our interviews with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers are raising the temperature of inspiration. Live from the hottest studio in this quadrant of the universe, here are Dave and Greg. Hey, Boiling Pointers. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode. Before we start, Dave and I want to let you know all about our Boiling Point process, online courses, live events, and masterminds. After interviewing hundreds of leaders, we've packaged a ton of knowledge together to serve up to you. Info that will help you and your company be heard in a very noisy marketplace. So visit www.boilingpointprocess.com and sign up for the email newsletter, and we'll let you know when our next cohort or event is. Thanks also for supporting The Boiling Point by subscribing to us on iTunes and also leaving a rating for us. The door's closing. The door's, the door's shut, which, which means, means the podcast has officially begun. It is official. <laughs> this is real now. Welcome, Eric Gilbert Williams, to The Boiling Point Podcast, coming to you live from Thailand. So, Eric, before we get to know who you are, what the heck's going on in Thailand right now, man? Yeah, you know, I, I feel like life is about, you know, fulfilling these childhood dreams. You know, you know those, you know those things when you're just a little kid and, and you're dreaming about, you know, what you want to be when you grow up or what do you want to do? Um, I really feel like these are some of the primal forces that move people. And, and definitely I can speak for myself and just say that's what moves me. I mean, I was a little kid, man. There was nothing better than seeing Jean-Claude Van Damme kick ass on Kickboxer in Thailand. So, you know. When, when I sold my company last year and, and started to, to explore and, you know, do some of these other little dreams, you know, coming to Thailand was it. So I, I literally jumped on a one-way ticket uh, to Thailand to come see some Muay Thai. And everything else has just been wow. a bonus. Um, oh, and, and I'll stay here until, uh, you know, the next thing comes up. So we'll okay, see. Okay, well, before we go any further, what about the American Ninja? Where did the American Ninja uh, um, land in your uh, top heroes of 1980s kung fu and, and karate movies? Let me just cover my eyes when I seen that one <laughs> not good you're okay <laughs> <laughs> what are you learning about muay thai what am i learning i'm learning that it's a, a culture out here I, I find it just you know this is this is a deeply ingrained way of life fighting like this you know when when we're in canada um you know and, and the most controversial thing that i've seen so far is that people here start this tradition, start this martial art and this, this culture um, when they're very young. So, you know, when, if you're a mixed martial artist fighter with 20 fights under your belt, you know, you're, you're pretty seasoned, you know, the 11 year olds here have 40 by the time, you know, they, they've only been going for a few years. So, so every, every fight night I've been to starts with a 10 year old matchup, you know, what the hell, wow. but this is normal and um, definitely controversial. And I have mixed feelings about it, but the fact is, that's normal for them here. Well, that's that's interesting. Well, let's 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 continue on this on on this track. But let's first of all introduce yourself. Um, and Eric, I've got the, your incredible bio in in front of me. Um, I just want to start with the theme, but then if you can introduce yourself to our audience, we'd appreciate this. Because when we're talking to you earlier, uh, you were saying you'd like to talk about entrepreneurial spirit and about the evolution every entrepreneur goes through as they build a real business, and you made distinctions of different businesses from zero to five employees, five to 10, 10 to 15, all having their own challenges 
and benefits, um, but it's not like one size fits all. There's no one answer to run business of different sizes. So I'm excited to, to dig in there, but let's let's hear about a little bit about your journey, including the fact that you exited your company, uh, uh, it sounds, quite recently. Sure. Yeah, no, thanks uh, for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Uh, I was listening in just earlier today to your last one as well about perseverance. And, um, you know, it's just definitely, uh, I, I can resonate with that. I think a lot of people can. And you know, my story is, if I, if I just summarize it all, you know, when I was a little kid, if you saw me when I was 10 years old, you would have thought that I was a really nice kid, shy, reserved, going to do very well. If you saw me when I was 16, you probably would have locked your doors, maybe called the police. And then, you know, now, you know, here we are talking on the show. So there's, there's, there's some stuff that happened there. Um, you know, I, I definitely uh, feel like I was bullied a lot when I was a kid. I was, uh, I think, I think I might've been depressed, might've been a fair classified, um, a lot of struggling, even though, uh, you know, my mom was very good with me. My parents split up, all that kind of stuff, whatever. But um, I feel like when, when a kid breaks and and they maybe you can, I don't know, resonate with some of that. But like, I feel like for me, when a kid breaks and there's a breaking point and, and, and when that kid hits that breaking point, you might see harm to self, worst case suicide, harm to um, others, worst case, you know, shootings in schools. And uh, the third one, and again, it's just my opinion, is avoidance of all of that, which usually involves drugs. And for me, I resorted to the third one. Um, now, in Canada, you know, the cannabis industry is very fast. My cannabis due to little. It didn't really have a government support at the time. So I got arrested for, uh, for trafficking, and I got arrested a few times for other things. I got a lot of shit really deep over my head. I moved to a house, lived in a drug house, um, you know, all sorts of crazy stories. And uh, when I was 18, I got recruited into a sales organization and they didn't care at all what I did in my past. They just cared about how much I was going to work for them. And they gave me a chance and they gave me this opportunity to shine and redeem myself. Um, by that point, you know, a lot of my friends have been hurt. One of them died. It was very bad. And I really, you know, hit this point where I started to realize, you know, it's if I keep going on this path, it's only going one direction. Um, so that's really, so when I was 18, I grappled onto this entrepreneurial spirit and really did redeem myself, which involved a lot of community service. And, um, uh, and I, you know, since then I've donated a lot to charities in my own way of trying to, you know, uh, balance things in my mind. Um, I, I, that, the company that recruited me ended up falling apart, really sucked. So I followed them into a new company, which also fell apart, which really sucked. Uh, I got into personal development everywhere. When I would read a book or, or go to seminars or courses and workshops, because I dropped out of grade 10, right? I never really graduated uh, at all. Um, and so I, I knew I was at a disadvantage. So I went to all these courses, did an event production company, and uh, did, which did really, really well. I did 12 uh, events in the GTA area with keynote speakers and hundreds of guests and you know trade show booths. Um, that was amazing until I hired a business coach who taught me how terrible my finances were looking. Even though I was doing good with the events, people were showing up over and over and over, I didn't understand accounting at the time. And he told me and he showed me how horrible my burn rate was. Um, so I, w I had already maxed out three lines of credit at that point and, uh, and I was done, game over. So um, I, I withdrew from society a little bit and became a janitor uh, to, one of my buddies had a, a janitorial company at the time. And so um, uh, I didn't really wanna, I was just so embarrassed, right? Like this the third failure in a row, come on, right? This is crazy. And, and, I'm, and I'm broke, right? And I'm, and I'm no schooling, right? I left all my friends. So, um, you know, life fell apart, became a janitor, uh, mopping floors, four o'clock in the morning, night shift, you know, the dirtiest, filthiest, nasty, nastiest university bar you could possibly 
imagine, you know, and, and, you know, I'm talking like the worst shit, like used condoms and dirty <laughs> tampons all over the floor. Sorry for the swearing. You can probably cut that out. Um, but it was crazy. And, and that was, that was my lowest point. Right. I remember picking up change uh, and, and putting it in a, you know, a jar of vinegar to clean it and, you know, depositing it with an unsuspecting clerk the, at the, at the bank. Right. And, and this was, this was the lowest point. And, and, but, you know, perseverance, right. You just keep going and never really stop. And, and one thing led to another, uh, I discovered roofing. I discovered how much I loved it. I discovered the business opportunity around it, moved to Calgary in November, 2006, uh, all the way across the country. I, I had, I ended up being able to save up enough money for a very small rusted out piece of crap van and a nail gun. Uh, and so I convinced one of my roofing buddies to come with me and cut, sorry if I'm, I'm rambling here. No, I'm loving this, man. It's great. All right. And, and so, so we drove across the country November 30th, uh, 2006. Now, if you check the historical weather records for November 30th, 2006, you will see this was not a good time to start a roofing company, right? This was not <laughs> well thought out in any way, shape or form, but there we were. And I was hungry, man. I was hungry. And, you know, after everything that just happened. So we got to Calgary and uh, uh, I think I was 21 at the time. And my mom bought me these, these winter clothes because I couldn't afford it. You know, my, my stepdad uh, got me some new winter tires for the van so I didn't die on the way. Um, and, and we just started roofing, right? Because it was boom time. Calgary time was yeah, boom was time. starting to blow up right around then. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. So, so we just got up and did roofing and uh, made it work. The first three years were, um, you know, paying off debts, figuring it out, you know, deponing the skills of the trade, building it up. 2009, I went straight, straight to the public and uh, started, you know, growing the business as a business and um, knocking on doors, right? Direct sales. What do you do when you need a customer? You go and find them, right? Knock on doors all day long, build up the list, do the roofing, knock on more doors over and over and over. And uh, by 2009, 500,000 in sales. And then the next year was about a million. Next was two point something and three and five. And then uh, 2014, we hit number one spot for fastest growing company in Calgary, but and and uh, and, then, and then the whole thing almost fell apart. Uh, overhead was crazy, and you know the whole thing just came tumbling down the same year we won this award, right? Like so ironic. Yeah, it happens uh, all the time. But, but, it seems exactly right, and 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 that's that's just what happens when a company you know grows fast like that, and all of a sudden the cash flow demands are very different, and mm. we. You know, I didn't almost go under because of bad work or or anything like that. It was just when you did more cash than I had and, and the commitments that I got into were starting to exceed the capacity to fill them on a cash flow basis. Um, so that was a really big struggle. And then uh, I ended up hiring a management team to, you know, because I was burning out at the time. So I hired, I, I hired this management team with a uh, uh, with some help, with some help with a, a consultant and and the management team ended up being completely the wrong people. They were, they were, they should not have been there, right? But I didn't know. I was over my head. Yeah. So um, by the end of 2014, not only was my cash flow out, but all my profits from the entire company from the day I moved to Calgary were burned, uh, gone. Yeah. Right. And and it's just you know it was, it was game over. So um, it, I ended up uh, being I had to basically let go of the entire management team that I hired to help me out of the burnout and and figure it out, right? And so all it was left was my core group of good friends uh, and, and my employers, uh, but they're still good friends to this day. So, you know, it's, it's weird. Uh, and, and we, we figured it out, right. It was their, it was their finest hour to be frank. And uh, we closed 2015 with the highest, not only the highest uh, top line revenue, but the highest net profit as well. Uh, and we had 35% less overhead than we did when we started. Right. It was like, it's, it's net, like the time to give up is never right. There, there is no end 
there is no end of the road. It, it's just a it's just a change, right? And change is inevitable. You just got to change with it. So, anyways, um, that's the, the roofing company and, and the construction company. I did a lot of different types of exterior construction and general contracting by the time I sold it, and uh, it was last year. And and now I'm uh, writing my book, right, about helping kids that are that were struggling like I was. I really, really, you know, feel passionately about this subject. Uh, you know, a friend of mine's, you know, little boy basically committed suicide, and and no one, no one saw it coming at all, right? This is something that I really feel, um, you know, is it can be changed. So uh, this is a passion project. The book is, and um, you know, and then of course I'm I'm helping out other entrepreneurs right now with, with like my mentoring and and some coaching, and that's really fun. And and I'm looking for the next uh, next business too. I'm I'm probably going to be doing something in tech. I got a few that I'm looking at right now and some NDAs. I can't really talk about really yet. I love tech, man. It's so much different than construction. So that's oh, this is so exciting to hear all these different evolutions, essentially, of your entrepreneurial path. And I wanted to rewind right back to when you were hustling drugs on the street. Um, and in a way, that company that first hired you, I'm sure they understood where you're coming from, or maybe they didn't. But I wonder if they were had the vision of saying, this guy knows how to hustle. He's probably going to be a kick-ass sales guy. Right? Was there any of that? Was there any skills from the street that you picked up that made you successful on that second step? I wouldn't say that anything skills of the street helped me there. I, I feel like, and, and no more did they did they hold me back than they held me. That was, mm. was pretty. Uh, when I was younger, though, uh, you know that entrepreneurial spirit struck hard from as far back as I can remember, maybe eight or ten years old. You know, uh, a, a lot of kids, you know, mow the lawn or whatever. Right. Well, I was buying mowers when I was 12, right? Who does that when they're 12? Come on. And, you know, I, I was big into trading card games, like, like Magic the Gathering and stuff, right? And, <laughs> and, and you know, when you're a kid, you buy a bunch of packs and you play with your friends. No, no, I was making deals with the owner of the shop to buy his used inventory so I could resell them at a 400% markup. And I did that a few times. Like, like who does that when they're 12, right? Like, I just loved doing things. And um, in order to get customers for lawns, you got to knock on doors. And, you know, so, so I, I was really drawing on those those hustle skills, right? Those deep ingrained, weird, why are you doing that kind of a hustle skill for from a little kid? I was, I'm thinking as I'm listening to your story um, about entrepreneurship and, and about the strong pull it has for people, like clearly from a very young age. And man, wouldn't that be great for everyone? But I'm just curious, what is it about entrepreneurship that, you know, if you reflect on this pull, like, what is it about it, you know, that, that in a sense kind of saved you? And could save others as, as you're probably expressing yeah, in your 100%. book. Yeah. You know, I think about this sometimes and the answer I get is, you know, why did Muhammad Ali box? Why did Michael Jordan play basketball? You know, it's a force in nature, right? Inspiration is its own primal energy. It's like an axiom. It, it just it just exists with life itself, and I feel like everyone has a different way of tapping into it. Maybe it's it through through paintings or through dance or through business or through you know helping people or through reading or learning or teaching. Who knows? It's different for everyone, and um, I don't know you know what the secrets are there, but I do know that it's it's its own you know powerful energy, and it you know it, it's scary to tap into it. You know, because usually it leads life in a very different direction than, than we've been taught. And that's then at that point, you know, do you go down that pathless traveled or do you uh, go the safe way? Well, yeah, th thank you. And I love that idea, but it's own energy. Um, 
part of the thing that I've always felt about entrepreneurship is that you can, you can kind of make your own rules. I mean, there's CRA rules, but you know, no one can tell you how to enter the marketplace or how to hustle for new customers. I mean, you, you have that control and I just, I just, and, and unlike if you're trying to go for a hockey team, you know, there's, there's some subjectivity there or, um, you know, trying to apply to some course. I mean, there's, there's, there's kind of more structure that supports some people getting through and others not. I don't find that with entrepreneurship. So anyways, that everything you were sharing kind of that's stuck in my head and, mm-hmm. And how do we let, how do we, in your opinion, Eric, get, give that uh, more kids access to that, to, to entrepreneurship and that feeling that it, there's no, um, there's no rules, you know, but in, in such that you have to have a certain level of education or that, you know, certain level knowledge or come from a certain family or whatever. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And, and I, you know, I, I, I love exploring that subject, you know. And, and, I, and I feel a lot of it comes back to the parents. Um, when, when a kid's a kid, they're a kid. And, you know, that creativity, that inspiration can be not extinguished, but um, hampered, right? And I remember hearing a story, if I remember correctly, uh, the, and I forget names right now, but the lady who invented cats, right? She, she couldn't sit still in school. She had all these, she was always bouncing around and, and they were going to give her pills and shit, right? But one of the teachers noticed that she bounced rhythmically exactly to the music every time and and notice that there was this you know inkling to to be a musician or, or something to do with music something and sure enough you know cats is a fantastic musical i've seen it a few times right and and um and and so it comes back i feel a, a lot to, to to parents right now i'm not a parent myself i'd like to be at some point but i'm not but but anyone who's listening who's who's a has a, a child at home right it's like what's their passion? How can you help them find it? How can you nurture it? You can't decide what it's going to be, but you do get to decide whether to support it and and bring it out, you know? Uh, And and I feel like the more we do that, the better. So biggest lesson, you know, when you think of the various chapters of this entrepreneurial journey you've been on, um, kind of more from a practical sense of, you know, what, what, what to avoid, you know, and if there was a lesson you said, you know, here's what I learned from growing, from expanding cash flow, all these sorts of things. Is there anything that comes to mind that you'd like to s- suggest other people consider as they dive headfirst into this, I don't know, world of entrepreneurship? <laughs> Yeah, how do we want to describe it? Right? What is it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Early on, some of my friends would ask me for help in uh, you know starting their businesses and, and all that, and I would really encourage them. Yeah, get into business for yourself. Yeah, do this right, make it happen. And you know, frankly, it's not for everyone. A couple of people really encouraged to get a business, and I did help as much as I could. They weren't built for this, right? And and they just weren't ready. So my new philosophy is I will never ever encourage someone to get into business for the first time. But anyone who's already taken the plunge, I will help them as much as I possibly can. Right? Um, it, it's smart. just not for everyone. Yeah, that's and, a good point. And you know when we talk about this, uh, there's a subject called business puberty, is what I call it. And the phase from zero to five employees, I call it a certain section of puberty where you know certain things happen in a certain way and certain things work and certain solutions are applicable. But at the five employee phase, going from five to 10, it's a very different type of a skill set. It's a different mindset. There's different challenges. And the things that work from zero to five probably 
anyways, work from five to 10. And, and the same thing happens from 10 to 20. It's the next phase of puberty. All of a sudden, you know, hair is popping out in weird places and your voice is cracking. And, and all these, you know, great leadership speeches you might have had when you were at, you know, zero to five employees or five to 10, they're not really applicable anymore because you're dealing with different types of people with different responsibilities that are more narrowed down, right? It's not a one, it's not one person for 10 job descriptions. When you're getting to 20 people, you know, you're starting to get niche, right? You're starting to be an assembly line here to some degree. And, and assembly lines are treated very differently than uh, jack-of-all-trades guys, right? So, you know, going from, from 10 to 20, and I see this all the time with some of the people that I work with, it's a, it's a struggle, right? Uh, what's that book called? What gets, what gets you here, it doesn't get you there, mm-hmm. right? And, and from 20 to 40 people, again, is a whole different set of, of, of skills. And, uh, and so keep in mind about this entrepreneurial puberty, this business puberty that happens, um, the second thing that, that, that really strikes me right now when we're talking is the difference between entrepreneurship and business. And no one really talks about this, which is why I love to really focus on it, is that an entrepreneur is not a business person, right? And a business person is not an entrepreneur. They are completely different skill sets and mindsets. Thank you Even for that. making that distinction. Because, <laughs> oh, you know, not to interrupt, but I, I find that we wear both hats, Sometimes we get, oh, got to put the business hat on. It sucks yeah. as an entrepreneur yeah. or vice versa. Sometimes people with the business hat, have to, I, I have to put this entrepreneurial hat on. And it's not a natural. It's like the integrator versus the visionary in traction. You know, it's yeah. some of us business owners are forced to wear both hats, but it's not a natural uh, position. No, and, and, and every business needs both to survive, whether both comes from the same person or from a, di- a diversity of different people and, and team members. Right. It doesn't matter where it comes from. you got to have both, right? And, and yeah, entrepreneurship is like that passion, the drive, the creativity, the invention, and, and you know, leadership, right? Inspiration, vision, and business to me is about the law, and it's about accounting, and about structure, and about KPIs, and, and being a manager, and firing people, right? Who wants to do that? That's not fun. Right. <laughs> but it's a lot more fun than going broke. I can tell you from experience. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like uh, you've had experience in that space. <laughs> well, you know, firing people he's talking wrong. about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but who hasn't? Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's the worst. It, it is, is the worst. worst. Um, is. This is yeah. cool. So, in, in your journey, maybe because um, you ended up, what was the, the biggest amount of employees that you had? Uh, peak season, biggest was somewhere around 60. Okay. So, why don't you just quickly go through? your observations from zero to five uh, up to 60, but what some of the fundamental differences were that you found between the different segments and are they universal? The first biggest one that a lot of people talk about is this, you know, how much does the owner do themselves? Right. And from, uh, from zero to five, you know, really the owner is basically doing everything with a little bit of help. Right. And, and that really carries on to almost 10 people as well. But when you get to 10, some of the tasks start to be outsourced to people that, that deal with it on a full-time basis, right? And I'm being very broad here, and I'm not talking about specifics because it's very different for company. Uh, but generally, you know, by the time you hit that 10 employees, some tasks might not do it all anymore. And uh, you know, one of the dangers of that is that you know, usually owner will just get rid of a task they don't like. And and by getting rid of it, you know, this is the, that that old battle between abdication or delegation, right? And, and getting rid of that task you don't want to do doesn't mean it's going to get done right, right? You still got to uh, be able to guide it and lead it to success. Um, and, and you, but it's really forgiving from that five to 10, you know, employee spot. You can, the owner can really be 
getting away with a lot of um, mistakes and, and not running into big problems. Getting up to 20, though, it starts to escalate because now there's so so, so many other priorities and tasks to manage simultaneously that those those specific tasks that were being delegated or abdicated out, now they start to compound. Now they start to go for two or three months without getting the proper attention and, and being corrected and course corrected back on track, right? So um, once you get to that 20 spot, you know, the, the importance of key performance indicators, the accountability measures, the check-ins, the daily, uh, you know, or, or at least the weekly uh, performance metric check-ins and, and, you know, having those meetings that specifically talk about what success looks like for each person. And it is, it's not even by department, it's per person, right? What's, when I hire my 20th employee or my 15th employee, what does it look like for them? How do I know in one month if they're staying or going, if I'm firing them or if I'm giving them a raise, right? And and this this needs to be really clear. And it doesn't, it, this is simple stuff. This is not rocket science. It doesn't have to be intimidating. It doesn't have to be the end of the world. It's listen, all right, 30 days have passed. The person's not in the room, right? It's just me and you talking, right? Like, how do you know that you want to keep this person? How do you know this person's going to actually contribute to your bottom line? And usually when the pressure is off and the emotions are down, then, you know, logic up and it's a pretty simple answer. And when you get to that 20 people, you know, in that 10 to 20 phase, these questions are really important. When do you fire? When do you keep? How do you know if you're on track? Um, going from 20 to 40, it's it's a different, I feel like leadership kicks in on a whole new level. Um, leadership, because a lot of the people now that are hired, often they're not going to know you very well, mm. right? And, and you might have been able to get away with uh, whatever you wanted with charisma before, you know, pushing those extra hours or whatever it is because you said it, right? And uh, when you get to that 40 mark, you know, the leadership is not going to be coming from you anymore. It's going to be coming from people's managers or their middle managers. And um, so the leadership that you need to bring to the table is um, needs to be thought of in a different way. You know, how do you inspire people to be leaders is different than how you inspire people to do well at their job. And, and this comes into a play, in my opinion, anyways, really when you start to hit that 40 person mark. And then, you know, 40 to 80 is, again, a whole nother phase. And, and you know, basically you're now we're talking really strict uh, financial statement analysis and, <laughs> you know, looking at those numbers in a way that you never looked at them before. Hmm. Um, anyway, that, that's kind of the yeah. first stuff that comes well, to this, mind. This is really, really cool. I wonder, too, as you're going through those stages, how important it is to really train managers to be entrepreneurial. Because for me, I think I'd have a very difficult time as an entrepreneur visionary to quickly see my vision just get sponged at the first or second level of management and it just doesn't even mm -hmm. drip into the employees. So yeah. to have that innovation and innovative uh, spirit and the encouragement to be an entrepreneur and be entrepreneurial as a manager, that's a new leadership skill for the owner to be able to inspire mm -hmm. traditionally process orientated managers to keep your vision alive. And I wonder if, yeah if that's a real difficult thing in leadership as, as, as the, uh, as the company grows. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, there's a lot of challenges that pop up uh, for, and there's a lot of ways to deal with it. Uh, my way of dealing with it specifically was to look for people who had been in business before and either it didn't quite work out or they decided they didn't like it, but I looked for that spark, right? That, that entrepreneurial spirit in them. Mm -hmm. And if they made the effort on their own, to go in the business before they met me, then there's something there that could probably 
keep that spirit alive, like you're saying, uh, you know, when they're further extended, keep keep that energy up that, you know, a regular, you know, job type manager guy might uh, uh, or, or lady might get, you know, bogged down with. So that, that was my way of dealing with it. Find some entrepreneurs that don't want to run me out of business, right? They want to, they want to, they want to feel entrepreneurial, but they don't want to have that risk anymore. And, and I was trying to fulfill both of them for it. Yeah, that's smart. I like yeah. that. That's really good um, because they get it and they understand profit and loss probably in a way that most people can't understand unless they've experienced it. So we're yeah. we're just going to wrap up here. I mean, my God, God love you. Like what time are we now? Almost quarter to one in Thailand. Yeah, yeah, I got my, my, my Thai Red Bull here. Did you know it was invented in Thailand? I did know yeah. that. Yes. I, in I fact, I knew it was, in, it, was a, it was a Thai product before we started seeing it in our grocery stores here. Like, it was just one of those legendary yeah. little brands that was in a medicine bottle. You know? Yeah, yeah, they got their own ingredients that I can't read, so who okay, knows? Okay, so what's the what's taste going? difference yeah. of a Red Bull can that we get in, in Canada versus that? You know, the biggest thing is carbonation, I think. There's no carbonation in these things. Ah. It's just like syrup. It's like liquid sugar with a lot of something that I can't read in it. But that that something is doing something good because you look wide awake. It's, it's entrepreneur juice. Oh, I'm good. <laughs> well, I got, I got, well, I'm on North American time, right? I have a couple uh, meetings that I have to do, you know, after this, and so I'll be working for a few hours. Uh, well, keep drinking that. Red and the more Muay Thai yeah. tomorrow. Okay. So, final question <laughs> would be, um, you know, you you reach that pinnacle where you actually get to exit the company. How good does that feel? Well, it, you know, it's, uh, man, it, it's um, a whole lot of things. It's, it, it's a New Year's celebration and a divorce. You know, it's um, the most amazing and scary thing. It's like jumping out of a, a plane with a parachute that, that someone else packed. Um, you know, it's, it's, selling, it's selling an identity. Everything that I thought that I had done. Um, has it is now gone, and I get to question who I am now. Um, my friends are now under the leadership of someone else, and I don't have any control over that. Um, you know, there was a bunch of money involved, and that's great. And uh, at the same point, the ongoing, you know, generation, like the money generation, is gone. There's a big chunk, but where's the ongoing? And um, I think the, the thing that, that hit me the most was my next business idea, I was like, Oh, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Da, da, da. And I go to contact everyone to take action on my idea. And they ain't nobody there no more. Right? <laughs> <laughs> wow. So <laughs> I think about this stuff all the time. It's like how privileged we are to have a team, you know, even, even though you're going through the, 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 the worst uh, valleys sometimes you're like, if you didn't have your little business, the, the privileges you get would be, it'd be, t- it'd be tough to say goodbye to them. No. Oh. Eric's frozen. Oh, no. I was just going to comment on how good... He smiles. Yeah. Well, how good he smiles <laughs> and how good the uh, internet was. 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 Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Eric, you may be hearing us right now. That's very possible. We don't hear you. And we've got this most beautiful smile in the still frame of you. So, okay, oh, wait. He's, he's coming. Gone. Oh, there we go. <laughs> oh, we were commenting on your smile because you, the, your freeze frame was like this, and you and you pop back <laughs> with a frown. So that's 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 Beautiful. allowed. That's allowed. These are the boiling point takeaways. Let's just get a couple takeaways. What do you what do you take away from? Well, for me, I'm really you know the existential experience we all have as entrepreneurs. But am I doing the right thing? Uh, 
you know, should I be an entrepreneur? Should I all the all these different things? Just hearing your story, Eric, is uh, it excites me at the possibility of someday, you know, f- somebody finding value in what we've built and being able to jump out and find yourself again. But also reminding um, myself that I'm very privileged to have a team and have a business that's working. Uh, you know, and. Uh, uh, sometimes we get so anxious about why isn't it growing quick, quick enough or why, why haven't we made it yet or whatever that thing is. Uh, but the, the very fact is if you've got a business that's, that's supporting salaries of people that you care about and you're not losing money, then uh, that's a good foundation to start with, you know. And uh, yeah, anyway, I, I, think, I think it's good to, to hear your story. Also, knowing full well, like I've taken my company up to about 15 employees and uh, we bounce up and down, and I fully get it. Like zero to five, well, not zero. Let's say four to five employees is phenomenal. It's such a sweet spot, you know. And five to ten, it's it's in it's it's awesome too. But it has a different disconnectivity. Like even just with ten people, it's it's an interesting dynamic. Anyway, you've given me a lot to think about, Eric. Thank you. How do and I'm going to share my takeaway in a sec. How do uh, how do people reach you, Eric, if they want to learn more about your story and, and the book, an upcoming bike, a book, sorry. and a bike, and a bike. Well. Uh, just my my website is my full name. It's ericgilbertwilliams.com, and it's Eric with a C, so E R I C Gilbertwilliams.com. Uh, my LinkedIn again is my full name. Uh, I'm on Twitter, and uh, you can find me there as well. I have a YouTube channel. Again, my full name, just I talk about some business concepts. I talk about this, you know, business puberty and about entrepreneurship versus business. Um, so check me out there, you know, and I'd love to have a chat with anyone that wants to, you know, talk about this stuff further. It's, it's, it's fun for me. Well, anyone listening will want to because, man, love your energy. And uh, takeaway for me is just how you embrace your story. And what comes to mind, I went to the school in Saskatchewan called Notre Dame, and the school motto was, which I put in my bio, is Lectere Emergo, which stands for Struggle and Emerge. And, uh, man, you really recount your struggles very well and emerging. So congrats, man, and uh, let's stay in touch. Yeah, and be in touch when the book is launched because that's another great time to get you back on the podcast. Yeah, it'll be great. It'll be about six months. Uh, It's coming along very, very well right now. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much, Eric. Have a great uh, time staying up late with your, with your proper Red Bulls. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Eric. Till next time. Uh, Cheers, man. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye. That sounds so much fun, being over in Thailand. Checking out some Muay Thai, drinking some little medicine bottles of proper Red Bull. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, Yeah, that was great. We'll see you next week, my friend. All right, buddy. Thanks for checking out this episode of Boiling Point. Remember to rate and subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Boiling Point Pod. To see more from Dave Vale, check out leadershipunleashed.ca or visioncoachinginc.com and on Twitter at Dave underscore Vale. And to catch up with Greg, visit Hemmingshouse.com and at Greg Hemmings on Twitter. Thanks for listening and remember, keep that pot boiling. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. 
Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.